Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to 2017 and show number 139. I'm your host, Nicholas eaton Clark. And first, a quick note to the storytellers in our audience. Our current submissions period has begun and we are now a paying market. The details are on our submissions page. Maybe you can send us something? Our first story of the new year is Hope for Enthos by Addison Smith. Addison lives and writes in the wilds of icy Minnesota with a wolf, a baby wolfling, and one day soon, another human. He does send out occasional tweets, but it's mostly an excuse to share photos of his pets. His tale is read by Roberto Suarez. By day, Roberto works as a community college student advocate and recruiter. By night, he geeks out on all things fantasy and science fiction, comic books and board games, he is the co-host and producer of A Pod of Casts, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the new Radio Westworld, a podcast dedicated to HBO's latest science fiction series. You can find Roberto on the web at robertosuarez.me and on Twitter as at Puerto Gican, possibly the best social media handle on the entire internet. And now, Hope for Enthos by Addison Smith. <laughs> The muted horns of passing cars drifted up to Enthos, where he sat on his ledge, peering over the street. The familiar lights and sounds were both comforting and maddening. The scent of flowers washed over him, the blossoms continuing their cycle of blooming and dying under his watch. How much time do I have left? The sun fell below the horizon, casting shadow over the city, but he felt no chill of night on his wings. The wind howled, but it did not tickle the fur of his neck. The gargoyle sat still, stationary, stone. 
Across the street, the lights came on in the apartment he had watched for so long. He could see it. Inside the room, on the table beside the bed, lay his salvation. The thing haunted his dreams and filled his every waking thought, not letting him give in to his death. The music box sat there, holding the bit of magic that would stop his petrification, hoarding his youth. The box's owner sat at her desk, her father beside her. What was it her father called her? He searched his memories. Sarah, he thought, or maybe Sarai. Humans had so many names, he had trouble remembering. They sat in front of a nearly completed puzzle. Just a few more pieces, and they would be finished. Her father made a funny face, pulling at his lips, and they laughed. The music box sat on the bedside table, still as Enthos himself. Open it, he willed them. Set me free. His thoughts went unspoken, unable to reach his stone lips. Their laughter brought back memories of his own children. How long has it been? Three years? Four? When did they give up on me? His thoughts held no anger. It was the natural way of things. You get old, and your skin grows hard. Movement becomes difficult, then impossible. There was nothing they could have done. They must have their own children by now, flying free in the night with the wind caressing their wings. His oldest would, for certain. Set, Enthos thought. No, Seth. Yes, that was his name. Good kid. Strong as an ox, and thrice as stubborn. But a good kid. The girl placed the last piece of the puzzle, a cardboard mock-up of a stained-glass window showing a setting sun, broken into several pieces. The music box still sat. One turn of its metal key, and he would be free. It was the secret. It was all he needed. Sarah's father picked her up in his arms, in imitation of the airplanes that fly overhead. She laughed, and he flew her into bed, then pulled a floral blanket over her. 
Where are my children? Enthos wondered. He hoped they were watching the same sunset, sharing with him what may be the last day of his life. All she had to do was turn the key. Her father kissed her on the cheek, flicked on her bedside lamp, then stepped out of view of the window. The lights went out a moment later, and the room darkened, leaving only a small circle of light by her bed. In it, he could see the girl and the music box. One turn. That's all it will take. The girl saw the music box, too, and Enthos's stone heart leaped. He had waited so long, but now it was time. The magic would free him from his age and from the stone walls he sat upon. She hefted herself up on her elbows and lifted the music box from the nightstand. It looked big in her tiny hands. She turned the metal key, and Enthos prepared himself for flight. He ached for the feel of stretching tendons. I'll find him. Find Seth and all of my children. I'll make up for the time I've missed with them. She turned the key again and again, and he brimmed with excitement. Finally. She let the key go, and the music drifted from the box. Even with his dead, stony ears, he could hear the sad melody, the sharp notes tinkling across the street. He tried to move his massive talon, but it would not rend from the stone of the building. He tried to flex his wings, but they would not move. The wind howled by, unfelt by his skin. The stone gears of his mind ground against each other, and his will shattered. He was not free. He was dying. His gaze wandered to the trunk at the end of the girl's bed and rested there until she flicked the light off and the room was left in darkness. The trunk is the answer, he realized. Inside it 
is my freedom. She just has to open it. That's all. She'll open it. And then I'll be free. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Our next story is A Proper War by James A. Moore, previously featured in issue 8 of Grimdark magazine. James is the award-winning author of more than 20 novels, thrillers, dark fantasy and horror alike, including the critically acclaimed Fireworks, Under the Overtree, Blood Red, The Serenity Falls Trilogy and his recent novels The Blasted Lands and City of Wonders. In addition to writing multiple short stories, he has also edited with Christopher Golden and Tim Lebon the British Invasion Anthology from Cemetery Dance Publications. James cut his teeth in the industry writing for Marvel Comics and role-playing supplements for White Wolf Games, including Berlin by Night, Land of a Million Dreams, Vampire the Masquerade, and Werewolf the Apocalypse, amongst others. His most recent novels include the forthcoming apocalyptic sci-fi thriller Spores, and a new series tentatively called The Tides of War, the first book of which, titled The Last Sacrifice, is now on sale. You can learn more about him and his work via the links in our show notes. James's story is read by Mark the Encaffeinated One Kilfoil. Mark loves fiction, so much so that he's written some, read quite a lot of it, and now narrates it. The programme director at a community radio station in New Brunswick, Canada, he can be heard frequently on CHSR-FM, and two of his shows regularly appear as podcast. Links to them are in our show notes. He likes cats enough to pet them but not enough to own one, and computers enough to own several but pet none of them. He will someday write a million words, but at this rate, that will require life extension, so he eagerly awaits the ability to upload into a computer, if that hasn't already happened and this is all only a simulation. 
And now, ready yourselves for A Proper War by James A. Moore. They found their prey near the edge of the cliff that fell into the Rakehale River a few hundred feet below. There was a damp trail of footsteps that ran from the edge of the cliff to where the shape waited. Alum wondered if the furry mass they stared at had actually climbed the sheer cliffside and then shook the notion away. Madness. What do you make of that, then? Alum stared at the lump of fur, leaning against a large rock, and frowned. Under him his piebald shifted from hoof to hoof, but did not bolt. The damn thing was always skittish. It's a big bastard of a man or a bear, damn near the same size. Benny spoke, no more trouble than if they were having a pint around a fire. Just the same, Benny checked that his weapons were in easy reach. They spoke softly, while considering their options, lest they disturb the large thing huddled in dark furs. Though Alam had never seen a Pramoresh, they'd discussed the beasts before. Apparently the damn things were big enough to eat bears without much consideration, but none had ever been seen this far east. The fur on whatever they were staring at didn't quite look like a bear's. Kalish wanted to poke it with a spear just in case there was really a bear under that fur. Kalish was from Luron, and his dark skin made him stand out almost as much as the skull he painted on his face every day. He nearly danced whenever he used his sword, and Alam had never seen the man cut before. Benny disagreed. He just wanted to wake the fellow and take what he could. On the other side of the river, the armies of Goltha were engaged with enemies from the far west. They'd heard the cries of war earlier and seen the smoke coming from the river below. On this side of the river, there were plains and flatlands and occasional settlements. People were slowly working the soil and growing farming communities where no one had ever bothered before. Alam and his men were moving along the area looking for easy prey. They were raiders. He wasn't proud of the fact, but a man has to make a living and lately the only good living seemed to involve swords. Fight for an army, and die with them. Fight for your dinner, and you get to eat another day. Farmers didn't fight so hard, and some of them had daughters. As Abel liked to point out, a man has needs. He'd had his way with too many women and girls to count, and had no desire to stop. Even Alum joined in occasionally, though he preferred his women on the willing side. Now and then a cutthroat gets lonely, too. The fur-covered figures stood, and the raiders took their turns being properly appalled. He was a big one indeed, and his skin was gray as stone. His eyes burned with a silvery glow in the twilight, and his body rose to a height that made Alum consider the risk of taking on one target. Maybe they should leave this one alone. Still, the numbers were in their favor, and the brute had no ranged weapons that Alum could see. Fat Abel spoke. Is that one of them Sabatolor the Empire is fighting? Looks like a demon. Abel was the one who called himself fat, because he was. But under that fat there was a great deal of muscle, and to prove that fact he wielded a mace that most men would have been hard-pressed to lift with both hands. Fat Abel came from the north, and he was well-trained as a fighter. He just didn't much care for the ways of the armies. His horse was a brute, dark and big enough to hold his master. Alum shook his head and gestured for silence. Benny was the one who liked to talk to possible targets. Benny nudged his horse gently to keep her from trotting. 
She wanted to move on by the looks of things. Drop your weapons and give us whatever valuables you have. Step back carefully. This doesn't have to go badly for you. Benny meant not a word of it, of course. He was a killer through and through. If he couldn't mate with it, he'd just as soon cut it to pieces and leave it for the storm crows to feast on. Sometimes Alum worried about Benny. Other times he was merely glad they were on the same side. Abel looked at the stranger and nodded his head, his face unreadable. Son of the archer, greatest damn shot Alum had ever seen with a bow, reached over his shoulder and drew an arrow from his quiver. While he looked on, he notched an arrow and rested the whole affair across his saddle's pommel. From Senna's left, Murray nudged his gelding forward, squinting as he looked over the grey man. "'Look at him. He looks like a damned soul if ever I've seen one.' Murray fancied himself a follower of Kanhir, the god of war, and always claimed he was taking souls for his deity. He never said a prayer. Alum tended to doubt the man's faith. The grey-skinned man replied, "'I am not damned.' He stepped forward and his heavy fur cloak parted, showing the weapons hidden beneath. There were a lot of blades of differing sizes. Some looked familiar enough, an axe, a dagger, but others merely sparkled softly. I am blessed. I am offered combat and a chance at a proper battle. His low voice was thick with an accent that Alum did not know, but his words were clear enough. He was not afraid of the raiders, not in the least. Benny shook his head. Be wise, there are six of us. We'll have you dead as soon as you pull a blade. As Benny spoke, the stranger jumped forward, one hand blurred in motion, and pointed toward Benny. A blade rammed into Benny's cheek and lodged deep in his face. Benny dropped off his horse, shrieking in pain, both hands clutching the area around a vibrating blade. The gray man charged them. Alum slid from his saddle reaching for his sword even as the giant charged. Fear had his heart thundering. The bastard was head and shoulders taller than Alum, who was always short and slender. The ground nearly shook as the man came closer. The horse was there, a wonderful beast, a great shield against any possible attack. The gray man did not bother with Alum. He charged fat Abel. Abel swept his mace down in a vicious arc at the gray man's skull. Hellishly fast for his size, the stranger dodged the blow— grabbed Abel and wrenched him down from the saddle. The ground shook when Abel landed. Abel rolled himself around and was standing only a moment later, but by then the man had moved on. Alum watched and learned. Abel was not the target. Abel was the shield. Senna was calmly backing his horse away using his knees, bow drawn, desperately searching for a clean shot past Abel's bulk. The warrior countered smoothly. Senna loosed his arrow the shaft disappearing into the gray man's furred cloak to no visible effect. A second shot had better luck. The arrow sailed smoothly, and the tip drove into the meat of their enemy's shoulder. The gray man grunted and kept charging. At too close a range to fire an arrow, Senna changed tactics and whipped the bow around at his enemy's head. One thick forearm caught the worst of the blow. The other hand grabbed Senna and yanked him from his horse. Senna yelped as the gray man slammed him into the side of his horse. The animal took it poorly, whinnying a warning and bucking slightly. Senna beat at the arms holding him, but it did no good. The gray man smashed him into his horse a second time and a third before the horse reared and snorted. The man threw Senna at the front of the panicking animal and stepped back as the horse reared 
and stomped down on top of the archer. The warrior was smart enough to stay away from the horse as it reared up and came down on Senna again, hooves breaking bone and scraping away muscle and flesh. Senna screamed once, yelped once, and then was silent. Alum shuddered at the sight and watched on, weighing his options. Through it all, Alum watched, rooted to the spot in the face of such unrivaled brutality. While he looked on, Fat Abel and Murray moved together toward the gray giant. Murray held a dagger in one hand and a thin sword in the other. He smiled as he circled the stranger. Murray shouted, "'Your gods have blessed you!' he spat at the ground. "'My god, can hear, will eat your gods as an offering when I'm done with you!' Abel, limping after his fall, looked at Murray as if he'd lost his mind. The stranger said, "'You will die first, then!' Murray came in fast, sweeping his sword as a distraction. Alum had seen him in action many times and knew the strategy was one of his favorites. While his enemy worried about the sharp end of the sword, the dagger came in low and bit at legs and fingers, whatever could be struck. Rather than dodging, the stranger swept the sword aside with a crushing blow as he stepped in close. Murray's arm took a smashing that would have cost the stranger his fingers or his arm to the wrist if the sword had caught him. Murray's sword flew from his hand, before he could recover, the gray man struck him hard in the throat. Murray stepped back, gaping. He dropped his dagger and reached for his own wounded neck, trying to drag a breath past his ruined windpipe. Alum circled around, looking for a vulnerability, watching the fight, hoping for an easy opening to attack. No luck. The gray man moved with him, never losing sight of Alum's blade. Fat Abel slammed his mace into the gray man's left arm, the sound of meat tearing and bone snapping quickly drowned out by a scream. The stranger fell to the side and staggered backward as Abel came at him again, mace held in both hands. Alum grinned. Abel intended to finish this fight as quickly as he could, and Alum intended to help him. Abel brought the head of his mace around and jabbed hard at the stranger's face. The blow sent the stranger backward a second time. Abel kicked at the gray man's thigh, and the stranger fell to the ground, where he rolled and then stumbled to a proper crouch. "'You should have listened to Benny. You'd have lived longer!' Fat Abel was panting a bit as he slowly circled the downed stranger. Murray coughed and hacked, on his hands and knees, trying to breathe, and failing. He was dead already, but too hurt to know it. The stranger did not speak, but merely charged. His body was as heavy as Abel's, and the fat thief growled as the man hit him, Abel brought the mace over his head and slammed its head into the stranger's back. The man slipped under Abel's arm and shouldered him in the guts, lifting as he ran. There was a blade in one of those hands. It met Abel's gut and stabbed again and again as he shoved Abel backward. Alum winced as the two of them staggered backward until they reached the edge of the cliffside that dropped to the river far below. Abel let out a scream worthy of a scalded cat as he stumbled across nothing but air and fell. The stranger stayed at that edge, his feet splayed wide apart, panting as Abel dropped. By the time the fat man thudded to the ground below, the gray man was already heading towards Kellish. Alum watched on, his enemy flexing his left arm as he strode toward the grease-masked swordsman. Alum's heart sunk. He thought for certain Abel had broken that arm. Kellish looked on, sliding slowly to the side and faced the man who had already killed four of them. This does not have to be. 
You have invited me to a war. I will make certain it is a proper one. The stranger didn't even sound winded. Making matters worse, he smiled through a mouth covered in scars. Gray hands moved, sliding under the thick fur cloak and emerging with an odd-looking blade, more like a scythe than a proper sword. He drew another one a second later. Kellis shook his head and backed further away. Alum. Alum raised his hands. When he spoke, his voice shook. He was scared, no way around it. He was the leader, sort of, but he'd never been fond of actual combat. Don't. I've no particular desire to die today. His right hand had a sword in it. He'd rather forgotten that in all the excitement. Still, better to die with a sword than without. The gray warrior held two of the strange weapons, and when Alum saw them properly, he was more puzzled than before. Both had a blade that ran along the outside of the hand, a spike at the top of the fists, and a long metal post that ended just below the elbow in another spike. They'd been designed to wrap around the man's thick forearms, and looked more like reshaped bracers than anything else. "'What are you holding?' Alum asked the question as he considered the possible answers. There was little to consider, really. There were blades and spikes, and he had no doubt that all of them could kill. "'I will show you more closely.' Alum shook his head. "'No reason to rush on my account.' While the fighter was distracted, Kalish moved in fast, stepping up close and stabbing with his short spear— its point did not penetrate the cloak, but snagged in the outer layer of fur, pulling Kalish, who had put his full weight into the blow, nearly off his feet. He let go of his weapon before the man could retaliate. Then he backed up as the grayskin threw a punch that would have impaled his chest if he had stayed in place. "'You've made your point. We don't want to fight you.' Kalish shook his head. The giant shook his arm, and Kalish's spear fell free from the fur cloak. "'Will you surrender?' The man's voice sounded odd. There was a sibilance to his words that Alum had not noticed before. The fine hairs on Alum's neck rose, and he edged back over to his horse. Alum shook his head and spat. "'No! We would retreat! Run away, Kellish!' Alum hauled himself back into the saddle of his horse as the grey man charged Kellish. The grey man was fast. Kellish was faster. He was also on the defensive.' Every jab or thrust the man made hit air as Kellish danced back and shook his head and grinned. The smeared skull in his face grinned with him. Alum backed up his horse. From thirty feet away, he allowed himself one moment of bravery and threw a dagger at the back of the gray man's head. Then he turned his horse and dashed away as swiftly as he could, hoping that Kellish managed to win the fight. It seemed like a good idea, but the horse let out a scream and bucked. Alum had never been a skilled horseman. He landed on his ass and watched the horse bolting away with his dagger in its flank. Cowardly! At least your friends fought with some honor! The gray man looked at Alum with those glowing silvery eyes, and Alum shook his head. No, no chance would he fight this thing. It refused to die. Kellish rose from the ground behind the gray man, his face bloodied, the painted skull smeared and stained crimson in spots. He lifted his spear and moved toward the man coming for Alum. Alum picked up his sword from where he dropped it and charged at the man, praying Kellish would get there soon enough to do some damage. The stranger continued toward him, running hard. Alum braced himself, ready to strike as soon as the man reached him. He'd do whatever he had to do to survive. The stranger was fast. Kellish was faster. This time the spear struck true, 
and the warrior grunted as he fell forward. Kellish pushed his advantage. As the man crashed into the ground, Kellish drove the spear deeper into the large man's chest. Kellish pulled the spear free and backed away warily. Sprawled across the stony ground, the gray man coughed blood, and Kellish relaxed. The spear had gone deep, the blade and shaft painted with heavy flow of blood. All the gods! Alan moved a step closer, but no farther. The man should have been dead by all rights, but he was struggling still. His strength had failed him, however, and he didn't seem capable of rising. That man is crazy! Kellish shook his head and eyed the body as if he expected it to attack again. Alan was contemplating hitting the back of that head with his sword a few dozen times to be safe. Aye, good work, Kellish. Kellish started to respond. When the man rose to his hands and knees and coughed again, another gout of blood that was more pink than red. He did not try to stand, but instead rolled over onto his back and looked toward Kellish. All the bravery in Alum faded just that quickly, and he backed away. The man's eyes glowed. He'd thought that a trick of the light earlier, but no. He's a demon. Three hooks on chains appeared in the man's hand, each as long as Alum's hand from wrist to longest fingertip. If they were meant to fish, then surely the fish must be the size of a man or greater. One flick of the gray man's wrist and those barbed nightmares found Kellish's face, eye, and neck and sank deep into all three. Kellish screamed and stumbled backward, his hands waving madly. He dropped his spear and tried to pull the hooks free. The stranger gripped the chains in his hand and hauled Kellish toward him. Kellish fell toward the man as his eye ruptured. He tumbled to his knees and the stranger ripped the hooks free from Kellish and threw them towards Alum. They missed him by the grace of any possible gods. Alum backed away, shaking his head in horror. The gray demon was supposed to be dead or dying, not fighting on. Kalish had some fight left, though it was not much. His face was torn apart, and his neck vomited hot blood across his front and his enemy alike. Instead of leaning back and dying like a sensible enemy, the gray man hooked his fingers into Kellis's shirt and yanked him closer— until they could wrap both of his thick hands around the enemy's neck and squeeze. That was enough for Alum. He turned and ran. His horse wasn't far away, and he and the damned animal came to a quick understanding. Alum soothed its neck for a moment and whispered kind words to calm the beast, and then he was in the saddle and riding steadily away from the dead men who had been his friends for the past few months. He did not know if Kellish was dead or alive. He did not know about the gray men. He only wanted to get as far away from them as possible. And so he rode until the sun was nearly set and the temperature fell icy. By the light of the dying sun, Alum spotted his salvation. The village was one he had seen before, a small gathering of farms and little else. He rode to the third house in the settlement. It was the largest and most likely to have room for a stranger. He'd have preferred a good pub, but beggars could not make demands. He pounded hard on the heavy oak door and waited. The man who answered wasn't overly muscled, but he was a tall fellow and he looked capable. His hair was graying and his face had several days' worth of stubbly beard. His frown was not welcoming, but Alum took a chance just the same. He was exhausted. He needed rest and food. "'Beg pardon, sir,' Alum did his best to look sincere and reasonable, which in comparison to his now dead companions was relatively easy. I'm lost, you see. 
and I thought I might ask for a place to sleep for the night and directions in the morning. The man stared at him in silence. Alum reached into his jacket pocket and pulled out four small coins. I can pay. Not much, but I can pay. There was more coin, of course, but a good pauper's pocket deterred curious eyes. Dark eyes regarded him for a moment and then, Aye, we can manage something, I expect. Come on inside. I'm called Tovish. What do I call you? He nodded his thanks, and the man stepped back into the warmth of the spacious main room, with a good fire going and what smelled like mutton cooking in a pot over it. I'm Alum, he replied, as his stomach rumbled noisily. He closed his eyes and felt himself relaxed for the first time since they'd found the gray man. There was food, there was a fire, and there was shelter. Really, there wasn't much more a man needed on a bitter night. I thank you, sir. It's getting cold out there, and there are too many animals for a man on his own, and too many of the sort that carry knives for my taste. Tovish nodded his head and gestured to the table. Stew's almost done. Sit. I have a spot of wine, too. That was one of the reasons Alum liked the flatlands. There were many people out in the area, and most of them seemed more civilized than city dwellers. You are too generous, sir, and I thank you. He bowed his head and smiled. The day had been madness, to be sure, but the night promised a little rest and a full belly. Tomorrow he would be on his way, and he'd find himself some honest work, the sort that didn't involve fighting gray men with too many weapons, who would not die when they should. Where are your friends? The man's voice changed not at all, but Alum felt his skin crawl. Friends? He was just preparing to draw his sword when something slammed into the side of his skull and dropped him from his chair, leaving him stunned and barely able to think. Aye, your friends. The ones had their way with my little Lyra, and with my wife, too. I expect they were smarter than to come back here. <laughs> Try as he might, he couldn't move. Damnedest thing, he'd been hit before, but never like that. His head was screaming at him and his arms and legs just stay there. The man crouched next to him, his boots well-worn, his clothes often mended and thinned out to nearly bare spots. Lyra and the wife, they're down in the cellar. They like to hide there when strangers come by these days. That's for the best. No, please, I didn't. No reason to lie, boy. I never forget a face, especially one that's made my kin suffer. As he spoke, the man straightened out Alum's legs and then tied his ankles together. They're proud women, my fine ladies. They'd probably face you and be brave for me. But I'll save them from that. Alum tried to plead, but the man just talked over him as he hauled on the rope around Alum's ankles and dragged him toward the door. On the ground not far from where Alum had gone over, he could see a metal pan, likely what had hit him so hard in the head. If I told them, they might even ask me to spare you but that won't happen. The man paused long enough to tie Alum's hands together. There's a war going on, you see. Soldiers might come along and ask about why I had a man like you bound in the cellar. I wouldn't mind torturing you, but the wife and daughter, they're better than you and me. They're kinder. Tovish dragged Alum over the threshold and into the night. Alum looked on as the ground slipped past. His neck felt like it was lit ablaze, when he was hoisted by his feet into the air near another building that reeked of animal shit. The blood rushed to his head, and nausea churned through his guts. The rope he hung from rotated slowly, 
so he had plenty of time to see the pen where the swine were kept. Theft is theft. I don't much like it, but I understand it. Tovish spoke calmly as he wrapped the rope's end around a fence beam and tied it off with practiced ease. What that friend of yours did, that was worse. None of you deserve to live. If I ever find the others, I'll show them how I feel. For now. You'll do. Alum thought of telling the man he was too late, but the words couldn't make it past the bile clogging his throat. Tovish squatted until they were nearly face to face. For the first time, he smiled. What I like about pigs is they'll eat any sort of garbage you offer them. They aren't picky. They just like to eat. Alum let out one last scream as the pig farmer came for him, clutching a well-used and keenly sharpened blade in his heavy-knuckled hand. And that, dear listeners, brings us to the end of our very first show for 2017. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes or other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing. Please consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page so that we can keep the podcast up and running. And now the legal stuff. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors. Violators will be invited to a war. My thanks goes to Gary Dowell, editor of Farfetched Fables, and our audio engineer, Mark Zanfardino. May this year bring you everything you wish. I'm off to go and action some of that myself. I'll see you next week. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.